Hey, podcast world. How would you like to talk about an exciting new topic for our podcast? Well, you're in I the right place. I think that'd be great. Wait, Lee, I wasn't, I wasn't done. <laughs> well, I kind of thought that I would be the podcast audience and they, they can actually talk. But Lee, l- let me re- remind you, you're not the podcast audience. You are the podcast. I, that, that is true. I, I apologize, Rob. Okay. Okay. But the truth be told is you love to listen to our podcast, don't you? Well, I do most of my listening. I'm only allowed to speak every so often. <laughs> well, that's all we can afford. Is, yeah. <laughs> since we pay you by the word. That's right. That's right. But that has nothing to do with what our topic is today. No, it really doesn't. And that doesn't. is a deeper look into the world of AI with Stan Smith, the founder and CEO of Gradient AI. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great podcast. Uh, you know, I've been reading through the website. I've been doing my homework on it, and it really is a very interesting company. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stan's a very interesting guy, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm excited to see how they are using AI and trying to shape the world of insurance because it really seems like a big focus on insurance. Yeah, I mean, we we see it all over the place. We hear it all the time. And we're very interested in AI on the claim side because we can see all kinds of different places where machine learning could help make us more effective, efficient, and faster. Absolutely. And that's what it's all about, right? We want to be uh, the best at what we can. And so I think AI is a great tool. Uh, and uh, I want to talk to them about data. I want to talk to them about how they interact with the data, how they make sure they get good data. Uh, so I, you know, I have a couple of questions. If, if, if you'll let me ask them, I might be able to ask. Well, um, just for that, I'm not going to let you. <laughs> okay. This, our podcast audience is going to think that I'm a cruel taskmaster. That is true. But, you know, they, they, they all know you by now. <laughs> so they know I'm a cruel taskmaster. Okay. That's right. Okay, taskmasty. Let's just jump right into our interview with the CEO and founder of Gradient AI, Stan Smith. Hey, podcast world. We are here today with a guest from a piece from a corner of the InsureTech world that we're really excited to start to explore and get into, and that's the AI world. And we have Stan Smith from Gradient AI on with us today. How are you doing, Stan? Great, Rob. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for being willing to to join us. Where in the world are you today? Uh, At our headquarters, our global headquarters. We have uh, a few offices around the country, but our headquarters here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where if you want to hire sort of some of the top talent in the world of artificial intelligence, you want to be here. So that's why we're here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we think of Cambridge, Massachusetts, we think of like really good colleges, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. And so it's probably good to be located there. A lot of folks that, that go to school in Cambridge want to stay in Cambridge because this is where a lot of things are going on in, in this artificial intelligence world. A lot of insurance, a lot of a lot of, uh, re- uh, in, uh, I should say, research is going on and, and um, the latest and greatest stuff. And they just want to be here because this is, seems to be one of the epicenters of what's going on in AI. So before we ask you some information about Gradient 
-hmm. particular. I really want to start by talking about what is AI. And of course, a lot of people on our podcast, listen to our podcast, know that. But I think some people don't. So let's start with a primer on what is AI anyways? So there's a number of terms that are used interchangeably around AI. One of the other terms that I think is more descriptive about it is called machine learning. And this fundamental premise of machine learning is you can take a complex mechanism and you can show part of it to a computer program that will understand sort of cause and effect as it observes things happening. And then if it actually learns what causes, what kind of outcomes or effects, you can actually show it some raw data and say, okay, if you've learned from this first data set, tell me what's going to happen when I show you this new data set. So if you're using just a deck of cards and you keep showing the probability of certain cards coming up so many times or in what order, you do it enough and then you show it a new deck of cards and say, okay, I'll show you one card. Tell me what's likely to come up next. If the machine learning has, has worked, it's going to have a higher probability of guessing that next card than just a person guessing or a rules engine or anything else. If there's some underlying thing going on there, the, 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 the dealer, the conditions or whatever. But in the world of claims, which I think we're talking about a lot in, in the world of insurance, you know, claims are a wonderful training set. And so you think about work comp. What's really interesting about a work comp claim is you have a consistent starting point. It's a work-related injury. It's not an illness or pre-existing condition, you know, any of those things that you see in healthcare. It is a work-related injury. That means there's a starting point that's consistent across work comp claims. And then you have an outcome. It can be medical only, lost time. It can be one day, one year, 10 years, but there's an outcome. And that a set of claims is a great way to train a model to learn what can or can't happen, what will or won't happen, what's likely to happen. And then to learn from that, then you take a set of claims that you, you don't tell the model what the outcome is, and you can test that model has it learned on that first set of claims by showing it a new set of claims saying, okay, now you know so much, tell me what's going to happen when I show you the first notice of loss on a claim. And you can test how accurate that model is at predicting those claims. If that is fact, that holdout set is a closed set of claims are already closed, but you only show the model first notice of loss data. And then you can show it day 30 data and other things. So it's an educated guess. It's increasingly educated. That's a great way of looking at it with the exception that the models don't forget, humans do. People are good, sort of the estimate everybody hears is we're good about handling four to seven variables, meaning we can understand a number of things at the same time. These models can understand virtually an infinite number of variables. So, you know, a lot of things can be happening and the model can actually assess and measure all those variables and figure out which one makes the most impact on the prediction it's making at this moment in time. So with that basic information, tell us about Gradient AI and give us give us your elevator on what you guys do and where you came from. Sure. So the claim side is where we started. Actually, the business was started inside a big actuarial firm called Milliman. I started there because getting data from clients in the insurance space is difficult. They don't want to give it to most people. They don't trust most people, but actuaries have to get data to do their work. Correct. And it was a great place to start because... You know, we, had, we built a lot of trust with a lot of our clients. Last year, 2018, we spun out of Milliman, uh, but we also brought our clients and, our, and the data we collected. We left none of that behind. So it was kind of an interesting uh, departure for us, but it's worked out extremely well for us. And we hope that our clients believe so as well. But the first place we got started in the insurance space was in work comp claims because at the time work comp was about six, seven years ago, the worst performing line in PNC. And the claims seem to be driving most of it. And when I talked to a lot of clients that were carriers or risk pools or self-insureds or TPAs or whatever, there was a hard, they had a hard time understanding and controlling the, these claim costs. They just continued to roll away from people. And as we looked at it, there was a common term that people said, I said, well, what's driving that? And they all said, you know, they, they have these claims they don't understand. 
aren't going to be as bad as they are until they're bad. And it's too late by the time they know they're bad. And there's a term they used, which was a term called creeping catastrophics. They all looked benign when they opened up, you know, catastrophic claims, they're terrible claims, but you don't need a model to know you to tell you that that person is badly injured. So that's not what we're here for. Um, mm -hmm. If you look at the rest of the claims that most companies have, the statistics are roughly 10% of your overall claim population will uh, lose you about 60% of your total losses. So those are the claims our clients are looking for. They're trying to find those claims and they refer to them as creeping cats because many of them start off as slip strain sprains. So not catastrophic injuries. They look fairly benign and the person should be fine and going back to work reasonably soon. And yet one out of 10 of those gets away from them. And so the question they had for us when we first started wondering what we could do in insurance with AI is they said, if you could just tell me about which of those claims are, are which claims in my group of claims are those creeping cats, I can have a hugely better loss uh, profile going forward on that claim and overall in my book of business. Because because so, you would you would flag those those would get flagged for special handling right away. Right away, and and some of our early clients. They would try and flag, oh, here's an experiment we did. So we did we, we trained models on some clients' data and we showed that we were able to very accurately identify those claims. And the CEO had a really good question for us. And our goal was to identify as many of those creeping cat claims at day by day 30 as possible. And we lo it looked like we captured more than 80% of them by day 30. Just This was years ago, we've got better models now, but it was that was a case, a case in point. The guy had, a, the CEO had a great follow-up question. He said, Stan, I wanna know, of the claims you flagged as high risk, I want to know how many of my adjusters have already identified as high risk claims by the same time. And I said, okay, define what you want me to use as the type of claim. He said, I want to know of the claims that ultimately got to $100,000 or more, how many did you identify as high risk by day 30? And how many of those had my adjusters already identified? And his head of claims was in the room at the time. And he said, uh, boss, we, we actually don't have enough data to do it at day 30. So we do that exercise at day 90. He said, okay, models at day 30, because that's what we had the experiments run for, and adjusters at day 90, because that's when they do it. And so the models had identified, even though that probably the most you'd have spent by day 30 was ten dollars to $20,000 on any one claim, we identified over 90% of the claims that ultimately hit 100 grand as high risk on or before day 30. And his adjusters, who are great people, and we're still working with them, they're still a client, years later, were identifying approximately 15% of those claims that ultimately got to $100,000 or more uh, as high risk by day 90. So it was 90 plus percent on our side, 15% on their side. So the, the CEO said, slam dunk, we're doing this. Yeah, it's a no brainer. Yep. And that's where we got started. So from there, I suppose you've made your way into underwriting and, and property claims, it looks like? So two things. From there, what's really interesting, and I think this is true for all of us in our lives, as new technology produces new insight, it starts creating new questions that we never asked because we never had that new insight. So if you think about GPS on your phone, used to we all use paper maps, and we could map out where we were going, but we didn't always know where we were on the way. So what do you know? GPS on your phone, you know where you are versus where you're going. That's great. Now you, get, you can get instructions. Now you, now you never asked about what the traffic would be like on the way because you never had that opportunity, but now we want to know the traffic. And if you use ways like I do, now you want to know if there happen to be any uh, speed traps on the way. So um, there's a lot of new questions that we ask as individuals, and our clients ask a lot more questions about the what they now can know about claims. So we actually have three tiers of models on claims. So first is sort of where to focus. The next tier is what's coming next. And the third tier is 
what, what to do about it or now what models, which are intervention models. So that's, but yes, we're doing a lot more there. But our early clients also pulled us over to the underwriting side because they said, if you can identify claims months or years in advance before we know they're really bad, you can probably do the same thing in underwriting. Turns out we can't. Yeah. Well, that's pretty, pretty amazing. You know, I was looking on your website earlier and you were talking about uh, solutions you offer. And one of the solutions is straight through processing. Yes, sir. Uh, with that, that, that's a buzzword that we've heard a lot on the podcast. And a lot of people are very interested in that. Can you talk a little bit about how your company could help assist with straight through processing? Absolutely. You know, typically, under, you know, carriers want to write more business. If it's good business, they'd like to build their book. And they typically, there's a renewal period where they have to renew a lot of policies as well as trying to bring on new business as well. So they get inundated with a lot of work and they have to look at every new policy and every renewal policy. And a lot of that's just not necessary. If you use AI, and, and this is how our, our models would work, we would score every either new piece of business or a renewal and assess it. And in certain ranges of scores, very low risk policies that also might be small amounts of premium, uh, our, our clients say, boy, that model is very accurate. So we know that we, we're very confident that policy is going to be very profitable. And the amount of premium and the exposure we're taking is actually pretty modest. So we can auto-approve auto that. We don't have to show it to a human. And we can move a lot more of that business through our, our systems and write more of that business because it turns out the faster they can respond, the, the, the higher win rate they have right. on, on contracting business. Right, higher closure. And then they can send those claim those policies where the model's not as confident to an underwriter and use their experience, their judgment, their expertise to help them make a better decision. And so the underwriters do more value-added work and a lot less busy work, so they're happier. The results tend to be better, so they get you know a little bit more uh, positive feedback from the executives saying, boy, things look, you know, you're doing a good job. And we tend to see it, it really reinforces that they can coexist, that we really help them offload sort of the busy work and, and really focus on the value add work. Yeah, I think that's amazing. So as I'm listening here, it sounds like your clients or your, your customers are really carriers, right? In insurance carriers. Are there other people or, or other companies who are your customers? Sure. So on the, on the underwriting, we absolutely do risk pools. We do self-insured groups, so they're actually so they actually act as insurance companies. We do uh, PEOs, which you know they, they aggregate largest large number of small groups of uh, employees, but they in many cases they underwrite on the work comp, so they'll have a large deductible. So the first quarter million, half million, up to some cases up to two million dollars per claim will be on their own balance sheet. So they're acting like an insurance company; they're taking risk. So we help them underwrite that group for workers' comp, for example, and moving into other lines of risk as well uh, in the healthcare side. But when they're taking risk or they're, they're making business decisions around the riskiness and the viability of insuring a group or carrying that group on their group policy, we can help them make better business decisions around that. So it's, it's not just carriers. And on the claim side, there's, we work with a lot of third-party administrators. That, so they only handle claims as well as the claim departments of carriers, self-insureds, risk pools, and, and the others. So we can work on both sides or just on one side, given what the company does. That's one of the things that we're very interested in because we do a lot of TPA work in our, at our company. How can we use your product? So you're, with, 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 just with claims in general, there's typically a distribution of lower risk claims, sort of medium risk claims and high risk claims. And the, our idea from the very beginning is to start to uh, assess these claims from the moment 
any information is available. So do you have an incident, whether it's going to turn into a claim or not? So in a number of lines of risk, there are incidents that don't necessarily turn into claims, but we like to have that information as well to help the model be trained to understand which of these incidents, if anything, will turn into a claim. And then to look at all the claims as they come in to understand which, if any of these, will turn from a claim to, say, lawyer represented or potentially higher cost claim or, you know, uh, any other complications or was there any bodily injury involved or other things just to understand where the higher risk claims are going to come from and know about that as early as possible so you can make better decisions today around anything up to and including which adjuster you assign it to, what level of supervisor do you give uh, this attention to, um, what kind of case level reserving do you put against it because we actually have case level reserving models that will try to assess the, the future cost of any claim at any point in time. And there's a whole number of things that we try to make available that can provide what we would call decision support around each individual claim and then also automation around a certain subset of the claims if in fact they look like they're incident only and they're not going to you know turn into something so they can be handled in, in a highly uh, automated fashion which typically also results in better customer satisfaction because they're being handled people are being informed that it's been approved yeah. it's been processed and other things like that can happen much faster well it sounds like to do all of that you have to have a lot of data and I would imagine a lot of data from different sources. How long does it take you to go into a new company and be able to plug into all of the data points to be able to actually give these, you know, these predictions or, you know, machine learning uh, uh, equations? So, so Lee, sounds like you've actually looked into this kind of stuff because that is almost always the, the, the challenge. We, we actually, the strategy of the business was to focus on smaller firms. And the reason we did that, if you look at a lot of companies that have been extremely successful, in the industry and in just around the world and other industries, uh, they started with small companies. And they, the reason that's a good place to start is small companies don't have a lot of resources. They don't have a lot of capital. And if you can, but if you can solve these kind of challenges there, it's, it's easier to move up market. If you can only work with big companies that have huge budgets and lots of resources, it's very difficult to move down market. So if you look at Salesforce, they started as a very small sales group tool. Uh, there are a lot of other companies out there. Uh, Salesforce was good if you had two or three or four salespeople, not much more than that. And today they dominate the market, but they started at the very beginning at the small end of the market. So we've actually used that as our strategy. And a lot of our early clients have some IT resources, but virtually no data science resources. No, uh, Most of them don't even have actuaries on staff. And so we've built some tooling that allows us to plug into systems very easily in a very modular way to pull the data. And then all the other ETL work, all the work that goes on with the data from there is done on our side. So the client isn't burdened with that work. So that's first and foremost part of our strategies to move all that work onto our side. where We have tools and expertise to handle this data and do it in a, in a very efficient fashion. Um, so that's how we get to historical data. Now, the other answer to your question, Lee, is if it's a line that we've already done before, so we're in production in that line, like work comp, and we're now moving into other lines as well, um, the, a new client, it tends to take weeks or maybe a couple months at most to, from the time we start going and get the data to where we're live. Uh, so we can do it very, very quickly. Uh, new lines might take longer, but, but you know, we've, we, we're moving to new lines and it's taking maybe, you know, three to four months for a new line for the first few clients. But after that, after we get into a production mode, the next client and the next client after that is just much, much quicker. Wow. I think that that's a very neat thing there, you know, a, a month or two, is really a very short amount of time whenever you think about all the things you have to do to get the data out. 
It is. And, and by the way, most of the time, most of the things that go on during that period of time is really working with the client to conf for, on configuration. So example, when we talked about deciding which claim would get flagged to be sent to an adjuster, you have to we run experiments to say, okay, if the settings are here, you're going to get, you know, three alerts per adjuster per day. That may be too much for some companies and not enough for others. So we go through configurations and this is, this doesn't take much time. It's just more communication and discussions and decisions on the client side to say, okay, let's limit it to, you know, let's at the very beginning send no more than one alert to any adjuster on any given day, but we want that to be very, you know, high accuracy. They need to act on this and we can train and change our workflows to handle when they get an alert, this is what they always do with it. And then you start to change those settings later. Once everybody gets more comfortable, once the confidence is higher on the accuracy of the models, there's lots of things we can do down the road. Yeah. You know, I, I am curious about one uh, specific thing you work on, and that's assign adjusters and supervising resources more effectively. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What does that mean to you? Well, there's, it's two levels. In some lines, there's there's um, different levels of, of uh, adjusters, and it's pretty common across the industry. You know, there used to be some big companies that trained adjusters in all lines on a recurring basis, and other firms, all they would do is just hire people away from those companies after they were trained and experienced. Well, those companies aren't doing those, those trainings anymore, so everybody's trying to find probably the same experienced people. So there's a lot more of the new hires are inexperienced. So a lot of our clients have the, the, the less experienced people working on the low risk claims and the med only claims, if it's work comp or whatever, you know, the simple things. Um, so what we want to do is we want to understand where in the, in the process, the people that are experienced are. And in fact, we can use historical claims outcomes and who, you know, not, not na by name of person, but any, any uh, identifiers by uh, desk number or experience information to assess what adjuster types would handle which types of claims better and use the models to help with that kind of assignment. So uh, that's part of it. The second part is there's in some cases, a lot of third party resources that might be used, whether it's, you know, fraud investigation or uh, any, any other kinds of third party information you might want to go get on certain claims. Well, a lot of the times that the, that those resources cost money. And in some cases on the low risk end of the, of the case of the claims, that's not necessary to spend. And so we can actually reduce expenses across usually more than 50% of claims. And that doesn't mean all expenses, but we have right. found consistently we can reduce a substantial amount of expenses on 50% of the claims. The inverse of that, though, is true because the other claims are, are likely to be more expensive. We do see an increase in expenses, but there's an ROI. There's a return on that investment. If you're working on a claim that may be tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars, if you can bring that down by tens of thousands of dollars, uh, or maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars, it may make more sense to do more investigation, send somebody out to take pictures, do whatever you want to do, uh, depending on the line of risk. But you're now making a, a business decision that it has a probable return on the investment of making that additional expense uh, worthwhile. So we're fairly early in the application of AI in the insurance space. I mean, certainly relative to where we'll be 10 years from now. And one of the things that I think about is what kind of impact does AI have in the insurance space and where is it going? Because it's early, I'm sure that a company like yours, one of the problems you have is, is that there's just so many places where you can apply it, correct? I mean, where is it going? Where do you go? What's your roadmap? Where do you guys see this all heading, the application of AI within insurance? I mean, beyond where beyond where you're already using it, I think it's it's going to be so many places 
it's no longer going to be really noticeable that you know people aren't going to have the conversation we're having right now because it's already going to be every place. I mean, we don't talk about uh, a lot of things that we've all been using for a long period of time because it's just ubiquitous and it's just there. Uh, browsers, internet, things like that. You know, we don't talk about, you know, the World Wide Web anymore. Correct. It's, you know, we just, we all assume everybody's wired and, and get on, whether it's wireless or hardwired, or, you know, it's not, it's not discussed. And I think you're going to see AI appropriately used in almost every facet of insurance. It's going to, so all this process automation that's going on, you're going to use AI to make the process more intelligent. So when something, it pops up to, you know, instead of putting a rules engine to say if and when, so if it comes in after Tuesday and it's something else, you do this with it, that's a, that's a hard rule and you have to continually update those rules. AI can continually update the rules by observing uh, what you decided to do and the outcome of what you decided to do. Mm-hmm. So it's constantly saying, you know what, there's a better way to handle some subset of those incidents and do something different with it. So why would you go back to the old way of hard-coded rules engine when you can use AI that you can train, calibrate, and manage. And I think we're going to move from where AI is today on the front end of, uh, of things and people are still a little bit uncertain about it to when it's ubiquitous out there, I think you're going to be having people managing AI through governance, making sure that it's used appropriately, the data it's using is their appropriate data. You're not using something that's not supposed to be used um, and that the range of choices are reasonable. And it's just, it's going to be just baked into many underwriting systems and claim systems and and how we all do things. Yeah, you know, that that's a question that I had was, what do you do to make sure that we have clean data going into these uh, systems so that we can get the best output? You know, if we if we train these on on bad data, we get bad outputs. What what you know, what do we do with that? So Lee, that's the the the, the way the terminology there is if you have bad data, which means the data doesn't actually represent the truth, you can get there's a term it's used for a bunch of different things, but it's kind of a term that I think it applies here. It's called overfitting. So if every time you showed the model something, it misrepresented the actual event, you could get overfitting on the, for, for that model. And the way you test for overfitting is that you have that holdout set, as I said before, you actually have a set of actual real data and real outcomes the model's never seen. And when you apply an overfit data to the real world examples, it will give you poor answers. It will say it's going to happen all the time this way and it doesn't always happen that way. And you can say, you can absolutely tell that model overfit. One of the other terms that you use in modeling is called snooping. If you show it a training set and it's in that training set, the actual outcome is there, models typically will find that, that hint and they will use it and they'll be almost perfect. And honestly, I can tell you, if we have a perfect, perfectly performing model, I can tell you invariably there's snooping going on. So you can actually, you, there's ways you can test against these kinds of problems. Uh, and by the way, this technology is also very, very good about coming up with proxies. So let's just say you're, you're trying to do underwriting on a, on just, and I'm using some simple things. Uh, you're trying to profile companies and you find certain companies have certain uh, very important elements. How many people work there is a certain, is a very important element and other things. But some of the times, some of that data is missing, but the revenue might be there and some other things might be there. Well, these models, if the data is dirty, meaning it doesn't always have the right information, the information could be wrong, the models learn that and they actually understand the confidence they can place in all those different data elements. Do they, is the amount of sales by the company, is that usually accurate? Is the number of employees at the company usually accurate or not? And if it knows that it's not always accurate, it can actually do some back test checking. It will rate the, the, the credibility of that information, saying it's not very credible very often, so it doesn't give it much weight, even though... A human eye would say the number of people there matter a lot. 
the model might say, yeah, it, it, it does, except that, that you can't trust that number. So there's a lot of things these models can actually do very, very well to overcome dirty data or poor quality data. Uh, and time and time again, our clients tell us they're not sure of the quality of their data. We can actually measure the quality of the data when we look at how the models perform, but it's, it almost always surprises them at how consistently well the models can do despite some of the known deficiencies. We work with carriers a lot. We find carriers to be generally, you know, risk averse and, and conservative just by their nature and by the nature of the business that they're in. And so do you, you must find some of that resistance when you work with carriers that you're coming with a really new age concept to them. Absolutely. Yep. Is that what you're finding? Are they resistant or hesitant? Resistant might not be the right word, but hesitant, a little, maybe a little nervous to work with a technology uh, that's like this. They probably think in terms of litigation and things like that. But what, what, what kind of challenges are you finding working with, with carriers with AI? I think a lot of people uh, over the last you know five to six years, a lot of folks were using a very broad brush to say, AI is a black box and we don't want black boxes. And a lot of the, that came from actuaries who have to have a very good understanding of what went on to produce a number. And for them, a black box doesn't suffice for, for their actuarial responsibilities. And that's understandable. And that's not, it's, it's, it, it's not like that, you know, that's, that's not necessarily untrue either. That's, these models are very, very complex. So actually understanding all the calculations they're making, um, if, if you're an actuary, that's what you want to understand. But that's, that's not really the point with AI. The point with AI is you can actually back test to see if the model is accurate. Sure. And so it's, it's, it's a different methodology for still assessing whether the model is accurate or not. And so I think we've been able to be smarter about how we communicate to prospects to make sure they understand there's ways to test what these things are doing and not doing and validate and that we work with their staff to test and validate so they feel comfortable and confident. And I think that's really what they want to know. They're doing the best they can, but they want to be confident in what they're doing. So I think that's, I think the, the view around this has been a lot more that other people are doing it and they're doing it successfully. And now it's more of the thinking is, well, if I'm not doing it and they are, that could put me at a disadvantage. So I think that the, the simple change in attitude is I need to look into this because if it's appropriate for me to use, I should probably be using it because I know a lot of my peers and or competitors are, are headed this way. I absolutely agree with you on that one. Uh, you know, I, I was reading that that y'all had recently raised $6 million in a seed round. Is that correct? It's, a, it's considered an A round, but yes. A round. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about that. What is, uh, what's on the horizon for y'all? Sure. So I think there are areas we want to move into. So we, we started in one area of PNC, the, the work comp area, because it was complex and it wasn't performing well. But we are actively moving out into the market for more lines of uh, in the PNC space. So we've got a number of new lines, and we're, we're going to be announcing those. So I don't think we're ready to go public with them just yet. But um, you're going to see a lot of new lines that we're going to start attacking because uh, we've got now more resources we're adding because of that money raise. We are going to move into the group benefits uh, space. So the area where there are a lot of self-insureds, they self-insure their employees for work comp. They've, they've told us time and time again, they'd love to take our approach and use it on how to estimate and project the cost for self-insuring their employees for benefits, for health insurance, and potentially other lines as we go down the road. So we absolutely see new lines, uh, new areas for us to go, and we've got a lot of demand in those lines. So we see that areas we're going to expand into very rapidly. 
It must be interesting being in this insure tech space relatively early. Of course, it's exploding now. And one of the things that Lee and I are always surprised by is how large it's become in a short period of time. But you've been in the space for some time, right? Correct. And so what insights do you have about where InsureTech is and where it's going? It must be an exciting time to be in it, almost pioneering. It is, but you know, the, the scouts are the ones that come back with arrows in their backs. So, you know, when you get out there too early, <laughs> now, I, I would tell you that we started doing this way before there was no term called InsureTech. Right. So that's just, you know, when we started this six, seven years ago, that we were way out ahead. I think there's good and bad things about that. I think we've got early adopter clients. That's been wonderful. They've taught us a lot. I think it's given us an advantage of aggregating large amounts of data, which is really, AI doesn't do anything without the data. Um, so I, I think we're really in the early innings of, of the game. I think you're going to see a lot of people coming out saying they can do things, and a lot of them are going to be capable, and a lot of them are going to be overpromising. So I think that's just going to be part of what happens. You're going to see a lot of folks making lots of noise, and then some of those people falling away. But it's it's a good thing. I think the market itself is opening up like it's never been open before, as far as I can see. Uh, we're having conversations with people that are, instead of saying, what is this? They're saying, we're trying to select which way we're going to go. And that's that's a much more productive conversation for us to have because now they're saying, what's you know how does it work? What's good about it? What's Where are the limitations? And they're, they're planning on how they're going to adopt and adapt to use this kind of technology. And we've got a lot of lessons learned. There's a lot of things we've learned about how to deploy these things successfully because we have some wounds from those times we didn't do a good job. And that's I think that's, this is where if you think about the early adopters, then you start to see there's this book called Crossing the Chasm. The next wave is the, the early majority. So you start to see a lot of people moving forward because it's, it's time to take this into the mainstream. And I think we're right there at the early majority stage. Are you starting to work with innovation teams and carriers? Is, is, is that an area that you find yourself falling into? That's a great question, Rob. Since the A round announcement, we've been inundated by the innovation teams that now see us out there and say, hey, we want to know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. We want to know how this might help us, our company. Part of the innovation teams, some of them are in their, their insure tech venture funds, mm-hmm. but some of these carriers have these insure tech venture funds are purely really venture funds. They're actually trying to get a return on their capital. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and others are actually there trying to find innovative ideas to bring into their parent company. Both are, are great to work with. Uh, but we're getting a lot of interest from the the innovation side of the of the folks that want to bring our solutions into their operating teams. That's been a really interesting thing that we've discovered because you know we work out in an outpost of 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 the insurance world at you know at one end of the claims business. Yep. But uh, finding out that there's there's a number of corporate venture funds and that like you said that some some exist for the purposes of making money or return on return on investment and some exist for how can we find cool tools effective tools to bring into our organization to help you know whatever our particular goals may be and um, we've had several conversations with people from innovation teams as well as from corporate venture funds about right you know the the hunt for new tools like yours and then you know, finding the right problems that they solve. It's just all an interesting thing. And, and your company's interesting to us because you're more kind of very right at the front of the newest wave of what's going on. I mean, you can't throw a stone in insure tech world without talking about AI. It's the hot topic. It's a great time, <laughs> but but we have to deliver. So, you know, we're, we're, we're partly about, you know, not 
making being part of the over promising you know cadre there's a lot of new folks out there just saying they can do anything with ai yeah that's not possible yeah. so we're also very cl- careful and, but even on the innovation teams they have to find willing champions from the operating side so they these folks have to be it you know it's for them it, it seems in some cases might seem risky that they're going to consider new technology to bring into their operation i think where we find that you have when there's change of leadership there's a lot more openness we see in a lot of cases um, when there's challenges on the business front. So when you look at work comp, when we got into it, it was the worst performing line. So people said, you know, I need help. There's a lot of lines when they get under pressure. Um, that's when it's a great time to start talking to, to those companies that have those lines that may not be performing that well because they're willing to, to accept help because they, they're they willing to admit they, they could use some help. Uh, tends to be when people are doing really well, when the combined ratios are really good, uh, they just have this attitude, if it ain't broke, why, why even try to fix it? Whereas some of their competitors are saying, geez, I might be able to add another 10 points of profitability. So I could either underprice my competition or I could just make more money. I'm going to go do it. Right. So, sure. you know, capitalism over time sort of pushes everybody in the same direction. If it's good for one then, and it's good for others, more and more people will move in that direction. That's been my observation. We have uh, loved talking with you today and hearing about your space. If anybody in our audience is uh, looking to find you or product or company, where would they go to do that? So our website is www.gradientai.com and gradient, G-R-A-D-I-E-N-T-A-I.com. And we've got some contact information there as well. So we'd love for people to ask for information and we'd love to tell them what we're doing. Okay. Well, we'll steer them in that direction. And we thank you again. And we we hope that maybe in a year or so you come back and talk about uh, what new worlds you've conquered. Love to do that, Rob. And thank you and Lee for the, the time. Appreciate it. Sure. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Stan. Lee, we didn't even ask the big question that I wanted to ask him, and that was about tennis shoes. No, you are right. We did not. Oh, wow. Um, evidently, like you told me, there's a person named Stan Smith who has some tennis shoes named that, after him. That's that's true, but you want to know why? It's because that was so interesting. All I could think about was AI and how it could be applied. We only have a little bit of AI exposure that's been going on, and that has to do with damage recognition, right? You're, you're right, Rob. AI is very uh, neat to us because we are using it with, with photos and trying to determine uh, is damage there to help us speed up. We also are using it in a quite a few other ways. You know, we are trying to speed up the claims process, just like they're talking about straight through processing. That's what we're trying to do internally, uh, using different technologies to help us. And it really sounds like gradient AI uh, would be a pretty cool fit for us because it's able to come in and then connect all of our data and then work on this machine learning. Because I think that's the hardest part, right? knowing what data to put into the systems so it learns from. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it sounds like they have some really intelligent people working with them. Very much uh, so. Stan's a great guy. And, uh, heck, right there out of MIT, I would imagine that there's some resources right there. I think that the application of AI can be spread all around an organization. Yes. Right? Not, I mean, not just, I mean, obviously our adjusters could use it. But like you're saying, we could use it to help even choose adjusters. Yeah. Yeah. You can use it uh, for just your internal employees, right? Just for your everyday work, even paying your bills, you can use AI to make sure that the bill is correct and it should be paid and then just 
pay it whenever you know it's done. And there's companies out there to help you, just like Gradient AI, but Gradient AI can come in and take your data sources and and, and customize it to be your specific tool. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that the world is open uh, to all sorts of automation, using machines to really speed up the process and to get things as accurate as possible. Right, and, and we saw it even with Andy Liu at Bees360. Right. Yeah, Andy's Andy's doing lots of that. They're applying it to pictures. Right. Andy's doing a lot of that. And saying, is this picture does this picture show what does this picture show? Right. Right. And yeah. uh, so many questions around it, so many questions to do with litigation and what it might mean in the courts. There's there's so much to come. But for for those of us who goof around a little bit in the insure tech space, like you and I do, and our company, uh we hear we hear the term AI every day. Every day, so. yeah. I was I was working out at lunch today, and I was listening to a TED Talk podcast. I think it was the TED Talk interview, and something on there I thought about while we were recording the podcast today. And it was about how uh, a lot of people say, you know, nothing's new under the sun, and it, it's a biblical reference, of course. But what it was talking about, he was saying that the Earth has been around for fourteen million years. And think about everything that has changed in the past hundred years and everything that's changed within the past 10 years. And here, you know, Stan saying that he's been working in this area for eight years. I mean, things change at a rapid pace. I am so curious on where we are going to be with AI and machine learning four years from now, or even one year from now. It's just at a, at a warp speed, it seems like things are speeding up. Warp speed. Warp speed. And speaking of warp speed, let's uh, get out of this podcast at, at warp speed and uh, say goodbye and thank you for being with us today. And you can support us as always by subscribing to our podcast on your favorite podcast player. Um, and until next time, we're going to say goodbye, everybody. <laughs>